Hello, and welcome to Here's My Number, So Call Me Ishmael, the podcast formerly known as The Rhyme of the Ancient Aliens. It's a cultural quiz show and so much more. I'm Tony, and I'm joined today by Austin and Josh. Hello, Austin and Josh. Hello, Hello Tony. Hello. I feel like you did the Ancient Aliens joke just to make me annoyed. <laughs> Yeah, you and I haven't had the extended conversation about ancient aliens that we need to have, but I thought it would be appropriate. Well, there's no better place to have it than on air for all of our friends to listen to later. <laughs> Josh, you are uh, you are a guest on this episode. Could you introduce yourself to the, the listening audience? Yes. So I am Joshua, Lord of Glencoe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've known Tony since, I think... Probably seventh grade. Long time, yeah. Like, I was Merlin and you were Sir Sagamore in the King Arthur play. Those yes. Were, those were good times. Josh and I were mm-hmm. middle school thespians. And yes, exactly. we were we were in the play The Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court. I was the comic relief character Sir Sagamore. And I was Merlin, who was a villain in that version. Yes. He was, uh, he was not about the Connecticut Yankee. Yes. Mm. Austin, do you have any... Any experience on, uh, with the, the stage? I do have a little bit of experience with the stage. I played the dazzling Dave Duckworth in a uh, church play mm. as a young man, and I also played Little John in the uh, East Side Boys play at high school. No. <laughs> um, I thought you were going to say Robin Hood. Yes, it, it was. It was actually Little John. It was Robin Hood. Yes. I see. So I was it was little, little John. Little John, not Lil John. Little John. Yes. Um. And then a couple of various games of charades, but mm. but that's that's about it. Interesting. Yeah, Josh and I have been in many places together. I, Josh, the first time I remember hanging out, with, or not the first time, but the first like non non-thespian related activity I remember hanging out with you with is your 13th birthday. Can you believe that? That is a long Mm. time ago. It's a long time ago. Many moons. Well, I'm really excited for the the monologue that you two will be (laughs) tag teaming. Yeah, I was going to say, Austin, I'm not sure. Yes. The (laughs) monologues that you two will be sharing. Uh, I believe dialogue is the word that, that that would be. I believe we have a word specifically for it. We do that. have a word for it. I can monologue if you want. I, I don't have them prepared, but you know, <laughs> I did improv with Tony too. So. Yeah, I'll give you. I'll give you a topic, Josh, to monologue on. Ancient aliens. Um, it's a very very short monologue. Uh, just because white people can't build it doesn't mean that people didn't build it. Mm. Meaning, you know, back in the day. Yeah. Just because we can't figure it out. Doesn't mean that they didn't have a different way of doing it. Yeah, I also have strong negative feelings about ancient aliens or the the theory ancient aliens. I mean, obviously the the mm. ancient aliens themselves. I have I I, I don't despise. utmost respect. <laughs> I have the utmost respect for the actual ancient aliens, but the TV series Ancient Aliens is dumb for a, a host of reasons that I we don't need to get into now. But that's for later in the podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> The the reason I chose ancient, the word ancient, to be the, the linchpin of our before and after is that the topic of this podcast, of this particular episode, of this particular podcast, is very old things. Cool. Hmm. I like old things. Very old things. Yeah. Hmm. 
It's kind of like a really extreme wedding. Something very old. <laughs> something very blue. Very new. <laughs> something something very borrowed. <laughs> very borrowed might mean stolen. <laughs> That's a good... Uh, I like that. I'm just going to steal something and use that as a defense in court. This was very borrowed. <laughs> I'm extremely borrowing it. <laughs> extreme borrowing. There is... A few months ago, for reasons of my own, I was reading through the definition of theft in various states, and some of them, I don't know, maybe all of them, have but one feature of theft is that you, you have to have no intention, no plan to ever give the thing back. So I, I think it might actually be a defense against, like, if, if in court you could prove that you were, in fact, intending to give the object back, I think that would be a defense against theft. I was just keeping this car until I saw him again. <laughs> <laughs> I see him here now, so he can have his car back. It's sort of like a it's a it's sort of a Grinchian take on theft. Yes, <laughs> he, he he does bring it back, but that's true. I should impress upon our listeners that I am not a, a member of the legal profession. So any any actions taken pursuant to my <laughs> words, uh, are, I, I cannot be held liable for them. We are going to talk about, so the, the first category of trivia that we're going to talk about is old creative works, old works of fiction and, and related things. Mm. So, All for right. example, the, the Guinness Book of World Records has an entrant for oldest love poem. Oldest love poem. Yes. Since Guinness was, uh, was an extant... No, this organization. Is, no. Guinness does not consider time to have begun with the publication of the first Guinness Book of World Records. <laughs> they have the record for first compilation ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first thing. Beer. You want to talk about old things? Beer is old. Beer is very old. I was actually given a comic book called "The Comic Book History of Beer" recently. Ooh. It was pretty cool. Can you en enlighten us, or have you not yet read it? Um, no, I did read it. It's basically just a, I mean, it's really just the history of beer, but it's got drawings. Right. That's interesting. <laughs> That's... Starts with some, <laughs> with sort of the hunter-gatherers in the Middle East, how basically bread and beer are essentially the same thing. It just starts fermenting, and you have to process it one way or another. That's, that sounds like a defense against a DUI in court. No, officer. <laughs> I, it was liquid bread. I was just carbo-loading. <laughs> Would you arrest a man for eating a loaf of bread for his family? <laughs> Interestingly, though, in that the Sumerians who, were, who drank beer were the first people to brew beer in mass, would use bread that was old and stale to brew the beer. So they first bake bread and then throw the scraps into a brew and then they use that as well. That's very interesting. Mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, the Sumerians are the creators of the world's oldest love poem. Oh. Uh, they have to invent writing and the first love poem. <laughs> this poem is from approximately... Well, they know it's from the reign of the Sumerian king Shu Sin, who I'm sure I don't have to tell you ruled between 2037 BCE and 2029 BCE. 
Do you think when he was getting elected, his followers said that he was a shoe sin? <laughs> the other candidate didn't stand a chance. Austin, I have, I have sort of bad news about how how a, a monarchy works vis-a-vis vis vis the representation of the common man. <sighs> you know, actually, is it first love poem or is it first written love poem? Because who's to say? Yeah, I mean, almost. I mean, it's and it's probably not even the first written love poem. It's the it's it, more accurately it should be called the oldest love poem that we know of. I and in fact that is that is what Guinness called it. Oh really? Um, well, good for them for being accurate. Yes, I and, and bad for me for for misquoting it. It is the, the poem is believed to be a wedding poem, and w what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the first line. And I want you guys to tell me your guess as to what the second line is. Are you ready? <laughs> okay. The ready. First, the first line is, bridegroom, dear to my heart. Now, what do you think the second line is? Does it rhyme? <laughs> it might have rhymed in the original Sumerian language. It does not rhyme in the English translation. Dang, because fart rhymes with heart. And it I does. I was really hoping mm. it was going to get... You're welcome to... So here, I'll set you up here. Bridegroom, dear to my heart. Your maid of honor can sniff my farts. <laughs> Good. Good. The actual line is, Bridegroom, dear to my heart, goodly is your beauty, honey sweet. Mm. You, guys don't, you guys don't sound enamored by that. <laughs> I think that was the tagline for the first beer, actually. <laughs> I mean, the, the bar is pretty low for first poem. They don't have a lot of competition. That's true. So, like... I'm going to cut him some slack, you know? Um, yeah. Sort of more of a slant rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> Austin, I'll give you the third line, and I want you to give me your guess of what the, 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 final, the fourth and final line is. So the, it starts with, Bridegroom, dear to my heart, goodly is your beauty, honey sweet. Lion, dear to my heart. Oof. Heftier your paws. <laughs> Lion, dear to my heart, hefty are your paws. That's not unlike Little Red Riding Hood encountering the wolf in her grandmother's bed. <laughs> Larger your teeth than your snout. You know, it could have been sort of an A-B-A-B -A -B rhyme. Mm. But heart, rhyming with heart, I mean... Well, it actually is an A-B-A-B -A -B rhyme, because the last line is exactly the same as the second line, which is, goodly is your beauty, honey sweet. Nice. <laughs> So. Well, see, so it does rhyme. It's just rhyming the same words with itself. It does rhyme. Kind of like uh, that Kid Rock song, All Summer Long. Yes, exactly. It is yeah. the Kid Rock school exactly. of rhyme. <laughs> Kid Rock masterclass. In, in the 4,000 years between the writing of, of this poem and the creation of Kid Rock's All Summer Long song, we, humanity has barely advanced in rhyming technology. <laughs> <laughs> this poem, by the way, is named Istanbul Number 2461 because it's currently housed in the Istanbul Museum of the Ancient Orient. Mm. Hmm. That's a museum I would like to go to. Yes. I bet it is very interesting. I saw a picture of it online, which, was, which I thought was quite interesting. I can only imagine how interesting it would be to see in person. So what was that number again, Tony? And why was it not number one? <laughs> that's, what, that's a great question, Austin. What system are they using? <laughs> the Istanbul number 2461. I'm guessing it, it maybe was like the 2461st tablet they found, and that was just the first one that happened to have a love poem on it. 
Mm. You know, I actually have very borrowed a couple of things from that museum <laughs> in uh, the game <laughs> Uncharted Amongst Thieves. Oh. Now that I think about it. <laughs> I like to imagine that the point of that game has nothing to do with artifacts. You've just, you just pilfer artifacts because you like artifacts. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that is something I would do. <laughs> it's the tagline for Uncharted. Allegedly. It doesn't belong in a museum. <laughs> <laughs> I've never played. <laughs> it might as well be. I mean, that's essentially what they're doing. <laughs> uh, so that's the oldest love poem. I also have the... Again, I, I, I'm calling this oldest. Uh, oldest known. I now have the oldest known joke. This is also from the Sumerians, about the same time. I'll give you the setup and you give me the punchline. Perfect. The setup is something which has never occurred since time immemorial. Man, there's a lot of punchlines that could come with that, really. Yeah, I can tell this one's going to be a real gut buster. <laughs> <laughs> something that hasn't occurred since time immemorial. I'm trying to think of like ones that aren't quite as much groaners, but I feel like the joke itself is probably going to be a groaner, so... I think even calling it a groaner would be generous. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think we said we said that rhyming technology hasn't advanced very much. I think that joke technology has advanced quite a bit. Okay. It's probably going to be some kind of self-congratulatory, you know, the fall of the Sumerian. <laughs> Something which That's has like... never occurred since time immemorial. The Hittites have defeated the Sumerians in battle. <laughs> 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 I was thinking more along, like, something that hasn't occurred since time immemorial. My wife cooked a good meal. Or something like that. <laughs> Josh, your impulse is very much in, in the line right there. Oh. Something, this is, this is the joke from a Sumerian tablet. Something which has never occurred since time immemorial. A young woman did not fart in her husband's lap. <laughs> so... How did how did farts already come up on these Sumerian tablets with no prompting? So yeah, I guess maybe joke technology hasn't advanced that much because we're still making stupid my wife jokes. Although that joke was funnier than I was expecting. <laughs> I like Austin's idea though of a of a Sumerian comedian who has a you might be a Hittite line of jokes, <laughs> like the you might be a redneck line of jokes. If you haven't yet defeated our empire, you might be a Hittite. <laughs> you might be a Hittite. If you have a, a rusty bronze sword, you might be a Hittite. <laughs> That's the oldest joke. The second oldest joke, maybe not the second oldest, but another oldest joke on the list of oldest jokes comes from about 300 years later. So I want you to be in the, the 600, excuse me, 1600 BCE headspace. Okay, I'm there. And I want mm -hmm. you to I want you to move slightly south and to the west a bit into Egypt. Okay. And I and I want you to put yourself into the reign of King Snofru, Pharaoh of Egypt at the time. Mm -hmm. The setup for this one is how do you entertain a bored pharaoh? Hmm. Judging by the theme so far, you make a fart joke. <laughs> This shockingly, this one is not a fart joke. Ugh. How do you entertain a bored pharaoh? 
I'm thinking of some sort of play on on stand up, but it's stand up. Mm. Stand up comedy. I see stand up comedy. Is that, is that, is that anything? <laughs> Do you unleash ten plagues upon him? <laughs> How do you entertain a bored pharaoh? Here's here's the joke from 1600 BCE. How do you entertain a bored pharaoh? You sail a boatload of young women dressed in only fishing nets down the Nile and urge the pharaoh to go catch a fish. Mm. <laughs> it's a little wordy. It's, yeah, I mean, I think the, the comedic timing is maybe not quite on there. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I think I think maybe in the ancient Egyptian language, it's a lot more pithy. It's a lot, it's a lot quicker. I certainly hope so. There's there's one word for sailing a boatload of young women dressed only in fishnets down the Nile. <laughs> so it really, it's a lot cleaner. <sighs> That's a good one. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, I I disagree, Austin. That's. I, <laughs> So if someone had to write that joke in hieroglyphics, they had to like paint it and make all the little <laughs> pictographs. And of course, in my head, uh, it's Steve Martin and Martin Short <laughs> making right. this joke <laughs> in front of Ramses. <laughs> I'm really glad that the Rosetta Stone was discovered because surely this is what it was meant to do. <laughs> Yeah, I would love I would love it to be that like the first you know like the first fifteen years after the discovery of the Rosetta Stone, all they could translate were jokes, and they were just getting increasingly frustrated, <laughs> like desperately trying to find like a, a royal lineage or like court poetry or something, and all they can find is dumb jokes. It would be very funny if there was a society that just to play a joke on people only left behind really dumb stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Dumb jokes or like contraptions that don't work. Yeah. Really confounding archaeologists to try to figure out what is this for. <laughs> I mean, it's possible that that exists, and we just don't know that it was all a joke. It's possible, but it's true. And maybe the maybe the code of Hammurabi is. They, maybe they were like laughing their asses off when they were talking about cutting off thieves' hands, saying no one will ever believe we would do this. Who would ever do this? <laughs> it's this is great. Cutting off someone's hand for stealing. Or just like a failed, a failed script. <laughs> <laughs> that Hammurabi shopped around to, to, to local directors. Just didn't quite, didn't quite take. <laughs> um, so I, I, here's a fact of dubious veracity. According to Wikipedia, the oldest surviving speculative fiction, where speculative fiction here is like, sort of fantastical as opposed to like I don't know court poetry that sort of thing the oldest surviving work of speculative fiction is the Egyptian tale of the shipwrecked sailor <laughs> something that could never happen in uh, real life I will, I'll, let me, I'll give you a plot synopsis and you'll see why it's fantastical but the only citation that Wikipedia has for this is just the name of a professor at, at, at UC Santa Cruz <laughs> It's literally like you you know you you can like click on the little footnotes in you in in Wikipedia and it'll like take you to like the book that it's drawn from or 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 like the the academic paper that it's drawn from. This is literally just a man's name. <laughs> Who's the man? The man um I you know what too much to my shame I don't actually have his name written down. Let me um let me get that for you. 
You should get him as a guest on the podcast. <laughs> that's that's a great point. That would be a great first celebrity guest. <laughs> Can you imagine? Tell us. The other weird thing, and and the other, okay, so his name is Daniel Selden. And the other weird thing about this is that there is a Professor Daniel Selden at UC Santa Cruz, but his name is spelled differently than the citation here. So not only is the citation just a man's name, it's also the man's name spelled wrong. (laughs) (laughs) All of which is to say... Disputable. Disputable. According to him, according to Daniel Selden at UC Santa Cruz, <laughs> the tale of the shipwrecked sailor predates Gilgamesh by 500 years. So one upper. So right. So the the story, the basic idea of the story is that an official, like one of the king's leading men, returns home from a trading venture that did not go particularly well, and he is waiting to tell the king about this. And then the servant of the king's servant comes and and tells the first servant and says, who's on first? (laughs) (laughs) And then then the the other guy says, I don't know, who's on first? And then the first guy says, no. Uh, No, the the second servant comes in and tells an own story of of his own failed expedition as a way of, of trying to cheer up this first servant for the, the lack of success of his expedition. And the uh, the servant tells the story of the sh- his shipwreck, and then he lands on this crazy island, and then he talks to a snake, and then the snake tells tells him how his family died or something. The snake's Ooh. family. The snake's family oh. died. And then that, that story is supposed so to... So he has a parcel tongue. So, much. True. Yes. This is a ancestor of Slytherin. Slytherin is the heir of this man. Right, exactly. And so that's evidently supposed to, to cheer up this first servant. Which, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Wouldn't cheer me up. Sure, man. I remember when I wrecked my boat. <laughs> fucking snake talked to me. Hey, hey. You, hey, listen. Your journey couldn't have been worse than mine. I talked to a snake. <laughs> and he told me how my family was going to die. <laughs> Is that really the whole story? I was expecting it to be like, and then he talked to a monkey who said this or something. Uh, no? as, as far as I know, he only talks to the snake until he he gets picked up by a ship and returned to Egypt. So, Boy. yeah, it's listen, it's not a great story, but it is maybe the oldest story that we know of. Wow. Well, in that case, I think we should probably make a movie out of it. Yeah. <laughs> The oldest complete song we know of. Have you guys heard about this? I, I this this was uh, this was completely new to me. That we uh, that and, and when I say the oldest song we know of, the oldest song we know of that we know or at least somewhat know how to play. Yeah, I think I do know this one actually. Well, hit me with it. Is it? It's an Assyrian hymn correct uh it's a hurrian a hurrian hymn and i believe that the hurrians were like a uh obviously they were in that same neck of the woods but it is a hymn you're right about that discovered sometime around or excuse me not discovered created sometime around 1300 bce 
It's a big poll, Josh. Is it a banger? <laughs> well, you can. So, like I said, this is we have some idea based off of the. So they give a basic description of how to play it on a on a nine string lyre. So we have the basic idea of how to play it, and it's actually you can listen to it, the, uh, various interpretations of it online, and it's like, I don't know, it's kind of like. Maybe it's just beautiful because of the context, but it is there is a there is a there is a beauty to it. And when the drop comes in, it's crazy. Oh man! <laughs> you know, I'm gonna go find the hurry in him, and then give it to someone I know who's a DJ, and have him do like a club remix of it. I think yes, that would be please. cool. Bring a little uh, a little class to the the late night DJ scene. Your your DJ friend DJ Cuneiform. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I know anyone who has a nine-stringed lyre. Do you guys know anybody who has a nine-stringed lyre? I have an eleven-stringed lyre. <laughs> okay, well, just cut off two of those strings. Yeah, you're so close. Exactly. So I could have a nine-string lyre if I just had a pair of scissors. <laughs> that's like a. That's like a Mitch Hedberg joke. I don't have a nine-string lyre, but I do have an eleven-string lyre and a pair of scissors. <laughs> you have a potential nine-string lyre. <laughs> I do have so, like I said, the the lyrics to the um, to that that hurry and him, and it, you know what, Austin, this one they call this one hurry and him number six. Ooh, this is hurry and him number six. But uh, it's the uh, oldest one. Uh, so my guess, I I think I think I remember reading that the other hymns we don't have like the complete version of so like we have fragments of them but we sit number six is the 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 first one that we have the complete version of well listen is it lou lou bega made mambo number five i've never heard true. the other four mambos. True. that's true yeah. or is it maybe the sixth one found like did they find other hurrian hymns before but this one's older oh also a possibility great great thought because sometimes that, I mean, if they're doing accession numbers in a museum, that would make sense. Right. Um, you're right. That would make sense. So I don't know. The oldest musical comp- composition that we have, like, entirely, including tune and lyrics, is a Greek song written by a, a guy by the name of Cyclos. I am going to... I'm going to read the the first line of the lyrics, and I I want you guys to give me the second line. Are you ready? Ready, Santa. The first line is, while you live, shine. And then the second line is, on, you crazy diamond. (laughs) (laughs) That's not true. While you live, shine. While you die, rot. (laughs) And then it's got a metal hand emoji after it. (laughs) Yeah. It was the very first death metal song. <laughs> While you live, shine. Let them wonder what you got. <laughs> Make them wish that they were not. On the outside, looking in. <laughs> Man, I was not expecting a Newsboys reference today, but but solid Newsboys reference, Austin. <laughs> Thank you, thank you, thank you. First, first uh, compact disc I ever owned. Shine the hits. Yeah. Speaking of firsts, first hymns, first compact disc. That was the first concert I ever went to. Was a Newsboys concert. Oh man, we're, this Ooh. this podcast is steeped in the Newsboys. <laughs> the first compact disc I owned was Jars of Clay. Remember Jars of Clay? 
Oh, yes. Flood. Yeah. Which actually, Jars of Clay is a is sort of thematic for this for this topic because a lot of these inscriptions are found on clay tablets. <laughs> so, the actual second line to the song. So it's while you live, shine, have no grief at all. Then the next two lines are: life exists only for a short while, and time demands its toll. So mm. was this the inspiration for that Nickelback song where they said, you know, if today was your last day? <laughs> you think they were reading this ancient Greek hymn? It's possible. Yeah, this is the this is the monomyth. It's the hero's journey for, <laughs> for alt rock music. <laughs> yeah, live like you were dying. Yeah, yeah. Tim McGraw also probably was reading this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they actually took that from the, the Greek band is called Bronze Back. <laughs> 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 That was that was a low key good joke, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm really I'm really in touch with my ancient metals. If Tim McGraw rewrote that song, do you think one of the lyrics would be I wish I hadn't spent so much time reading ancient Greek texts? <laughs> uh, yes. So that's very old Works, I don't, I, maybe not works of fiction. That's very old creative works. Old literature, maybe, would be the right mm-hmm. word. The next category is old fictional characters. So these, so in, in the previous category was in our universe, what are some old things? Now we're going to talk about fictional universes and very old things in those things. Okay. Beautiful. I found a character... Who is three trillion four hundred two billion one hundred ninety three million eight hundred twenty two thousand three hundred eleven years old? Do you have any guesses who that might be? I uh, is it Wowbagger from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Oh, uh, we will get to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Guide to the Galaxy, excuse me. But this no, this particular one is not. That was a great guess. I was thinking Hitchhiker's Guide too. So. Yeah, the very specific numbers is a very Douglas Adam things to do. Exactly. Um, yeah, so that was actually, you know, Josh, that was a very, it was an intelligent guess. Well, thank you. I am, I'm sort of punking you here because I, I think that there is absolutely no way that you will guess this character. It is a character from a, I believe a, a manga. I believe it is a, a manga. Hmm. Um, and the character's name is Najimi Ajimu. Najimi Ajimu. Would you like me to tell you more about Najimi Ajimu? Uh, yeah, he sounds like an interesting guy. I mean, if he's been around that long. Uh, first of all, Josh, she sounds like an interesting lady. Sorry. Um. <laughs> I should never have assumed. Najimi Ajimu is the founder of Hakino- Hakoniwa Academy and the creator of the Flask Plan. Her partner is Hanton Shiranui, the leader of the Not Equals. Ajimu has been absent for three years after being sealed by Misogi Kumagawa after Madaka Kurokami's success in reforming Kumagawa. The seal has weakened, whereupon Ajimu is set loose. Ajimu is the chief antagonist of the Kurokami Madaka's successor arc. Oh, that's pretty I cool. Was, I was pretty close. <laughs> This, this, by the way, comes from the MadakaBox.Fandom.com wiki. I am a fan of the trope of uh, ancient things being unleashed from their prison to wreak havoc. Mm. That's a good trope. It's a great trope. 
and and we will, in, as a matter of fact, we will soon get to an author who makes liberal use of that trope. <laughs> but yes, that's Najimi Ajimu, three three trillion years old. Now the universe, our universe, is about thirteen billion years old. So that that makes her quite a bit older than than our universe. Not necessarily older than the Madaka Box universe, but she's pretty old. And she's just been sitting in prison for a long time, so no wonder she's angry, you know? I, I would be, too. I would be, too. But she's been out of it for, what did you say, 5,500 50, years? Uh, just so that time to... She's been... She was on, yeah, she was only... Wait, she was absent for... Yeah, she, no, she was only absent for three years. Three oh. years? That's one one trillionth of your lifetime, Najimi. Come on, yeah. now. Could have been a better sport about that. According to the wiki, her blood type is AB. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know that three trillion year old beings still have a similar biology. They to have, I, I mean, as far as I could tell, identical. <laughs> yeah, so that's Najimi Ajimo. Austin, there was a while there where you were learning Japanese, the language Japanese. There have was. You, have you continued uh, that? I've been taking notes on all your mispronunciations, okay. <laughs> and I will be sending a strongly worded letter. <laughs> um, you know, I I only took the first class, the first module, okay. so I learned the hiragana alphabet. I do not remember much of of the vocabulary. Uh, I kind of let it slide to my to my shame, okay. to my great shame. I was just wondering if you could maybe translate the number three trillion four hundred two billion one hundred ninety three million eight hundred twenty two thousand three hundred eleven. Woo! There was a time when I could uh, I could probably parse it out. The only thing I remember is that three is sun. Okay. <laughs> she is sun trillion years old. There are a few characters in various universes that are, are just described as like being the oldest thing in their universe or having always existed in their universe. Mm. One such thing is a character who, who goes by... Well, one of the names that he goes by is Yarwain Ben-Adar. Yarwain Ben-Adar. That's how, how he's known to the elves. To men, he you'll... So you as men will probably know him as Orald. I don't. I don't think there are any dwarves on the call, but a dwarf would know him as Forn. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think I think I know who this is. The, the, the name that we we all might know him best by is probably the name that the hobbits know him by. Tommy B. <laughs> <gasps> yes, yes, uh, Tommy B. <laughs> wow, you know what? I was stuck on Silmarillion characters. I was trying uh, to think of all the names of like really obscure ones. It's Tom Bombadil. It's Tom Bombadil. Me too. I, I was I was also in that headspace thinking about yeah the ancient source of light. Yeah, I, I started I started with the Elvish name because I wanted to pull the rug out from underneath you. Um, and isn't the creator named Eris or Eru or something? Eru. Yeah. That's what I thought. That's what I thought you were gonna do, but you know. I was thinking too hard about it. Um, there is a theory among the fans, otherwise known as a fan theory, that Tom Bombadil is a embodiment or avatar of Eru Iluvatar. Oh, I like that. That's my headcanon now. Okay. You, you now, as a fan, share that theory 
And so that mm-hmm. is your that is your fan theory. Mm-hmm. Yes, his elvish name Yarwin Ben Adar means oldest and fatherless in the Sindarin language, and he he is said to have ex- has, is is the the oldest being. I like this avatar uh, avatar kind of idea. Maybe he he set things in motion and then took a step down, inserted himself. Yeah, there is sort world. of a among the Valar. Uh, and uh, among Aru Aluvitar, who sort of created the Valar, there is a sort of policy of non-interference in the world of, of Middle Earth. Right? Maybe not non-interference, but of limited interference. Sure. So, for instance, they you know they send the uh, they send the wizards to sort of guide people, but not to not to like take over the world. And that's sort of sort of why the the treachery of Saruman. Spoiler alert! That's why the treachery of Saruman is so <gasps> so deep. So insidious. Um, I like the theory of the Avatar because it makes me right with my answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is an interesting way to handle to handle trivia, where <laughs> where you give an answer and you say, "Well, actually, there's a theory <laughs> that they're the same person." Right. Yeah. Do you know the oldest being in the Marvel universe? Hmm. The oldest being in the Marvel Universe. Is it Galactus? Huh, Josh Betts. Got it. 100%. Huge. Tony, you know that I spent a lot of time reading Marvel comics. I, I do the, know uh, that, yes. The founding years of our friendship, so. <laughs> yes. Yes, that is why I thought there was a decent chance that you would know that. The Marvel fan wiki lists a few aliases of Galacticus. Would you like to hear some aliases? Yes, please. Galen. Ashta, Devourer of Worlds, Destroyer of Worlds, The Great Destroyer, The Monster of All Worlds, The Hunger That Does Not Cease, God of Oblivion, Galactus, that's three words, Herald of Franklin Richards, that one I don't get, World Eater slash Planet Killer, Violet Devourer, Lifebringer, Buckethead, and I assume that one's more of a, a teasing more of a uh, yeah. Something the right before he pops him real good in the jaw. Right, exactly. <laughs> and then the final one they give is Bob's Big Boy. That one I'm not sure about that one. <laughs> I kind of like that one. No, um, Franklin Richards is interesting because Reed Richards mm. is Mr. Fantastic, right? True. Yeah, I wonder if Franklin Ooh. Richards is a a relative. Right, and Galacticus is like the arch enemy of the Fantastic Four. And that surprises me that he's the oldest because the the very little I know about Galactus, I thought that he was like a astronaut at first. He sort of looks like an astronaut. That may be where you got that. He has sort of like he, his helmet sort of looks a little bit like an astronaut helmet, but he no, he just he he eats planets and has apparently existed since the beginning of time. All right. Yeah, comics are interesting in this in this category because there's sort of an arms race with comic book characters to be crazier than the last comic book character. Mm. Where like you know this character is the strongest being on Earth, and then the next character is the strongest being in the in the solar system, and then the next character is the strongest being in the universe. Power levels. Exactly. Of course. Power levels kind of get out of control in the world of comic books. But, I wonder if the second oldest being in the universe ever charged like. Tried to fight Galacticus for the title, you know, like sort of like an <laughs> MMA 
WWE <laughs> like for the belt. Kind of... Is is in MMA are they fighting to determine who's the oldest? No. I think Galactus is a heel or or a hero in M- in MMA. We know what he is in the Marvel universe, right. but right. Now you guys both brought up Douglas Adams and Hitchhiker's Guide. Josh, what was the character that you mentioned? Wowbagger. Uh, Wowbagger. Let me let me do a little. Uh, yeah, Bowrick Wowbagger, the infinitely prolonged. That's hilarious. He became immortal. Yeah, I think the character I have is even older than Boric Wowbagger, the infinitely prolonged. And it's it's sort of a cheat, but uh, so the epithet of this particular character is is a Radiohead song. I don't know if that will help. Are either of you guys Radiohead fans? Are you <laughs> are you Radiohead heads? Give it to me one more time. I missed it the first time. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, like dead heads. Do you guys get it? Radio head heads? Oh, I, oh, I get it. Okay. Um, sorry. There uh, was a little uh, static in the call for a second there, and I missed some of what said. Okay. Well, then I'm glad I re-explained the joke, because it was very good. <laughs> yeah, give it to me again. I had a little feedback over here. <laughs> So Radiohead fans would be called Radiohead heads, like Grateful Dead fans are called Deadheads. Deadheads. You guys, guys, what about that joke? It's very fun. Not quite as good as a farting young lady, but... (laughs) True. So the epithet of this character is the name of a Radiohead song. Paranoid Android. Paranoid Android, that's exactly right. So what is the uh-huh. the character who is the paranoid android? Marvin. Marvin. Marvin, exactly. Yes, Marvin mm-hmm. the paranoid android. So he... <laughs> the, uh, the description is, multiple instances of time travel shenanigans have left Marvin no less than 37 times older than the universe itself. <laughs> um, so it is a little bit cheating to include time travel... And he's a robot. And uh, yeah, but he's still a, a character. That's true. A being. A being. So I, I think Boric Raubagger, the infinitely prolonged, is immortal, but he hasn't time traveled through the age of the universe over thirty-seven times. Rest in peace, Alan Rickman. Ugh. Yeah. It's tough. R to the I to the P. I heard somewhere that Marvin the Android was like a one-line joke on the original radio program, or just in there for a couple jokes. Yeah. Originally, it was a radio program, and then people thought he was the funniest part, so he kept making you a bigger and bigger part of the story as it like went from that to a movie, and then that to all the books. Yeah, that is that is indeed what the Wikipedia page claims. So if you if you trust Wikipedia as a source of information, well, was it uh, just one person that said that, <laughs> or was? It just- no, it was not just it was not U- University of California Santa Cruz professor of Afroasiatic studies Daniel Seldon. <laughs> he was not the source given. For this next character, I am going to read an excerpt from the source material describing this character. This is the very first reference to this character. 
Outside the ordered universe is that amorphous blight of nethermost confusion, which blasphemes and bubbles at the center of all infinity. The boundless demon sultan, and then it gives the name of the character, whose name no lips dare speak aloud, and who gnaws hungrily at inconceivable unlighted chambers beyond time and space amidst the muffled, maddening beating of vile drums and the thin, monotonous whine of accursed flutes. That's going to be my boy Azathoth. <laughs> oh, good freaking <laughs> wow. work, dude. Uh, Outing my, yeah. Your your HP Lovecraft knowledge has, has finally come, <laughs> come to a floor. It's finally come full circle. Um, Although you did just utter his name that uh, mortal lips are not supposed to utter. So oh, like shit. Is it a thing to show up? Well, it does specifically say no lips dare to speak aloud, but I guess Austin is just braver than everyone else. Oh, I dare, baby. So it's more of a Voldemort than a Beetlejuice. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that would be a great, a great insult. <laughs> You're more of a Voldemort than a Beetlejuice. <laughs> <sighs> yes, Azathoth, one of the, the the original ancient ones in the H.P. Lovecraft mythos, or the original old one, I should say. And this is another one who is ostensibly as old as the universe itself. The final reference to Azathoth in H.P. Lovecraft's writing is, The ancient legends of ultimate chaos, at whose center sprawls the blind idiot god Azathoth, lord of all things, encircled by his flopping horde of mindless and amorphous dancers, and lulled by the thin monotonous piping of a demonic flute held in nameless pause. Pause. Pause sound too cute for that, that throng. <laughs> See, I was thinking that that was a perfect touch because, like, I think of a flute. I'm thinking of, like, elves dancing, you know? Exactly. And then when it says pause, it sounds like a monster. It's, yeah, exactly. It's more animalistic. Mm. What do you think a demonic flute sounds like? Is it just like when someone plays the piccolo a little too loud? <laughs> <laughs> it's like the top note on a harmonica. <laughs> I have here somewhere. Austin, there it is. <laughs> oh, enough. Oh, man. It's pretty good. One interesting touch that I like about that is in the, the first reference, he mentions the monotonous whine of accursed flutes, m- multiple. And then in the final one, he just says the monotonous piping of a, of a demonic flute, a single one. And I sort of like the idea that in his full power, Azathoth has this like sort of chorus of horrific flute, this high-pitched sound all around him, and then at the dying at the end of the universe, it's just one last flute, this one last monotonous flute going into eternity. It's cool. Yeah. It's a little eerie. I also like it's sort of the banality of evil thing, right? Like, oh, you know, he's. it's not even fun. Like, he just has some lame flute player is not even good right just making the sound of his his halls yeah just just doing it because he's doing it right kind of like uh jonathan strange and mr norrell where they have like the fairy revels are just it's just some cello and a flute yeah that's all the elf music is it's dreary you know it's kind of a cool image i think yeah i need to do my due diligence and mention that hp lovecraft was pretty racist <laughs> yes, I was. Uh, I was thinking the same. Um, so I, I don't. I do not condone his racism. 
Um, I had never heard that. Is it in his writings? Is there? I've only read like two of his stories. It's uh yeah, it's in some of the uh, supplementary material. <laughs> or some, some pretty shitty letters and. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. He's 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 bad news. Yeah. Well. But that's uh, disappointing. I know. I mean, I I have his pantheon memorized, so I don't know what that says about me. I can't judge too much, but yeah, yeah, not a good, not a good boy. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. <laughs> I know. It's, it's just, I don't. I don't know if this is the forum to decide whether or not an an artist's work can be separated from the from the artists themselves. I don't. I don't. I think a centuries old debate maybe not may not play out in this podcast, but. Uh, Especially because we're so consistent. I mean, the, what you're hearing here is what you're what you're seeing, you know, off mic. True. Yeah, we are. The three uh, of us. We are goofy, non-racist boys, both on the podcast <laughs> and off the podcast. Um, the next character in this fictional universe. So th- this one required a little little bit of legwork because in the. The, the 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 final appearance of this character they appear at the end of the universe and in that in that episode of this particular show this universe it's not mentioned exactly how old she is but in a different episode it's mentioned that the universe ends after a hundred trillion years or a hundred in the year one hundred trillion and this particular character was born around the year eight hundred so you do a little math. And you find out that this character is about 99,999,999,999,200 years old. Wow. That's um, pretty old. It's pretty old. Um, I, the, the hint that I did give is that this is, this is, is an episodic, this is a show, a show-based universe. Hmm. I mean, my first, my first tickle is Doctor Who, but I do not watch... Oh. I do not watch Doctor Who myself, but um, it sounds like a, a Who. It is, it is indeed who a Doctor Who character. It is not Doctor Who himself. Who? But <laughs> Doctor <laughs> Doctor Who's on first. Ooh, that'll be a good before and after for a, for a later episode. Done. I did watch Doctor Who for about three or four seasons, and I don't have any idea who this character would be. This is this is a newer one. So if you're not up to date, the character is in fact played by Maisie Williams who is better known oh, for uh, her okay. role in, in Game of Thrones. The character's name is Ashilder. Yeah, so she she appeared in a few episodes of Doctor Who and then was was granted immortality and so or was granted like some some like life lengthening thing and then was like I, the details were a little bit lost on me and then she was like put into like a weird bubble. In any case, she lives from the year 800 to when she was born to like a Viking family until the the end of the universe. Oof. So that's a long time. It's a big life. That's a big life. That's a big life. It's a big life. Yeah, I only watched the um, Matt Smith years, which I think were about 2011 to 2014 or so. Mm. I sometimes feel like the show Doctor Who is about 99 trillion years old. Right. <laughs> it's, it's been around a while. A shielder portrayed by one Maisie Williams. The final character I want to talk about is from the Star Trek universe. That's Star Trek.
Trek. Trek. That's the one with Boba Fett. That is the, yes. the Ewoks. The Boba Fett and the, the Ewoks. Hilarious, guys. I know you're joking. <laughs> Boba Fett and the Ewoks. It's a new uh, Star Wars story. <laughs> Someone in the history of all Star Wars fiction decanonized or kept as canon has definitely written a story about Boba Fett and Ewoks. <laughs> Absolutely. Decanonized is a verb that I have not heard before. <laughs> Um, you know, I don't know if it's a real verb, but I think you know what I mean. So. Yeah, oh, I know, I know exactly what you mean. That's I know exactly what you mean. And, and Austin, as, in addition to pouring over every written word of of H.P. Lovecraft, I know that Austin has read a great <laughs> deal of, of canon and decanonized Star Wars fiction. Absolutely, and. Yeah, nothing about Star Trek in there. So but we're, yeah, we're not talking about question. Star Wars. We're talking about Star Trek. <laughs> Dang. Do you guys know who the oldest character in the Star Trek universe is? Hmm. This is a continuum of characters. If that helps. Oh, Q. Yes. Oh. Yes, Q. That was a good... I, and I, I choose to believe that continuum is spelled with a Q. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, even even ageless beings will love a good portmanteau. I don't know much about Q, though. I think when I watched TNG back in the day, he was just a character. I didn't really understand the lore. Um, yeah, so the Q... I'm a little surprised that he's the oldest. They claim, and now, so they, they, we, can, we can get into the weeds a little bit here, because they claim to have always existed and are without origin, but it, they, there is a sense that they are not necessarily a reliable about their own history, so it may be that they have not always existed. Right, and isn't, you know, they say it's a one thing, but every plot with Q in it, he's he's like a rebel part of Q, and he gets scolded by the other parts of Q. Right. So I feel like, does that mean he's, are they really one thing, or is it more like an anthill, you know? It's a, it's a continuum, dog. You know, you can have pieces <laughs> from a continuum, but it's still... It's but still not a, but not a hive mind, not like the Borg. Not exactly. like the Borg, correct. Not like the Borg. So what makes them different, Tony? That's what I think Josh is trying to ask. Well, they're all... It's, you know, in the same way that, you know, the other place where a continuum show up is, is in the number line, right? Numbers are a continuum, but you can still have individual numbers. So they're all numbers. Mm. Could you have, like, a fillet number that goes out and does all sorts of ridiculous things to bother humans. That's, that's where the, anal- the analogy breaks down. I, I admit the analogy is not perfect. <laughs> but, um. I mean, seven did eat nine, so <laughs> I didn't know they sometimes infight. Um, that's also a good reference to the Voyager character seven of nine. <laughs> was she a continuum? She was a former member of the Borg. And where does John Mayer play into all this? <laughs> I'd really like to know. Uh, <laughs> mm. uh, have you guys watched any more or less? That's a terrible way to articulate this question. What 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 series of Star Trek have you seen the most of in your in your life? Do you think? For me, it's definitely Voyager. The original. The original Voyager. So we got three different answers. That's what I wanted. TNG for me, for sure. Interesting. We got them all. 
Well, we, not, we don't have them. We <laughs> yeah, very much don't have them all. Yeah, we got them all. <laughs> well, we should go to a, you know, go to a convention sometime, us three, and then have a heated debate over which one is the best. <laughs> which captain is the best? <laughs> captain Janeway! And first mate, Chakotay! <laughs> Tony and I set out to make an original podcast, not... Not one in the continuum of <laughs> 10,000. Star Trek fan podcast. Tuvok is the best Vulcan. <sighs> all right, I think I've exhausted all of them. The Doctor was a hologram. I think, okay, I think I've, I've exhausted my memory. So that's old fictional characters. <laughs> Love it. The final category of trivia, uh, I was inspired by the phrase, the oldest trick in the book. Um, oh. and, and so we're going to be talking about old magic tricks. Cool. Are you going to tell us what the actual oldest trick ever was? I, I, I'm i going to tell you what the oldest trick we know about is. Okay. Um, I should have learned that lesson from the first round. <laughs> now, there is some dispute as to whether or not this person even existed. So I, I'm, I'm going to start off by saying I'm not claiming that I know this person existed for sure. But... A person, either mythical or real, named Dedi, D-E-D-I, put yourself in the shoes of an Egyptian about 5,000 years ago, and and ask yourself, how would you pronounce the word D-E-D-I? I kind of like Dedi. Dedi? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably say Dedi, probably. Dedi? Just because it's probably translated through Latin. Mm-hmm. We need to listen to the song Pronounce Like an Egyptian. (laughs) (laughs) Stupid. Uh, (laughs) um, So this this character slash maybe real person was ordered... uh, So he had this magic trick where he would behead something and then put its head back on. And he was ordered to do this with a criminal. He was ordered by Pharaoh Khufu. He refused to do it with a criminal, but then did it with a goose, a waterfowl, and an ox. Instead of the criminal? Instead of the criminal. Yeah, I don't know why that was a good replacement. But he did his magic trick of, of decapitating a goose, a waterfowl, and an ox, and then recapitating it. <laughs> I've always thought like it would be kind it. of fun to, fun to decapitate a goose. I hate to say it. <laughs> they are cruel creatures. You definitely could. You, I mean, you could do the first half of this magic trick, Austin. You could, you could behead a goose. Easy. Well, you could do the second half, but it might not still be alive. Mm, true. <laughs> yeah. You, know, you could reattach it somehow. Yeah, sort of a Sid from Toy Story. Exactly. Although they were still alive, I suppose. In their own way. In their own way. There is also, people claim that there is a, you guys know the cup and balls trick? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's cup and balls, not cupping <laughs> balls. Cup and balls. <laughs> the the cup and balls trick. There's people claim that there's a a painting on an Egyptian burial cha- chamber of the cup and balls trick. But I looked into it and a, a historian completely debunks it. He says that it's, the painting has people with cups, but there's no balls. There's two people, and it's always only one person doing the trick. And they're surrounded by other people who are like preparing food, not doing tricks of any kind. So it's like <laughs> pretty much definitely not people doing a magic trick. It's pretty much just dinner. Would you consider the the cup and ball thing a trick? Are you talking about like ball in a cup with a string, or are you talking about no, like I'm, I'm gonna make the ball disappear? Yeah, a shell I'm talking, game. Yeah, I'm talking about the like make the ball disappear, make it reappear in a different cup. 
Got it. Yes. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that stupid like wooden cup game where you like it got a ball on a string and you try to get it. That's in the, yeah. what you were talking about um, the whole time. Okay. Well, no, I am talking about the ostensible magic trick whereby the magician, by either magic or sleight of hand, manages to transfer <laughs> balls from from one cup to another. Um, it's about it's about fifty fifty. <laughs> magic and sleight of hand. <laughs> Everyone sort of has their own way of doing it, you know. <laughs> right? Exa- yeah, exactly. I'm not gonna. Yeah, I'm not gonna tell one magician how to do his work and another one not to tell it. To tell her not to do what to do. Um, so that that Egyptian painting has been pretty much debunked. But there is a reference, an old Roman reference from 45 CE, which references like the cup and ball trick. So it, it probably is one of the older magic tricks. That makes sense. There's also. You guys ever heard of the Lota Bowl trick? The Lota Bowl? No. Nope. This is... Let me describe to you what the audience sees, and then maybe your your inquiring scientific minds can figure out how the trick is done. But the idea is you have a, a sort of... A, it's A bowl maybe isn't the right word. A chalice? Eh, not a chalice. A, uh, a carafe? You have what looks like a carafe, and you pour it out... And you, you pour, and then it, it empties out, and then you put it back down, and then a couple seconds later, you can you can pick it up and pour it out again and empty it, and then you put it back down, and then you, you pick it up again, and you can empty it again, and there's still water in there, and you can keep doing that. What do you... Take us behind the magic, boys. What, what do you think... How do you think that trick is done? Hmm. Well, I know that some people do sleight of hand. Hmm. And other people sort of approach it from a magical, the magical approach. Mm-hmm. So that that would be my two. Yeah, okay, so your guesses are sleight of hand or, or magic. Um, <laughs> so maybe the uh, the table that they're setting it on pushes up a false bottom in the jar and and pumps some water into it. That's a decent guess. You can do this. You can do this anywhere. You can do this. Away from any prop of any kind, you, you could be in the middle of a field if you wanted to be, in the middle of an Ooh. empty field. You could be in the Badlands, smack in the middle of the Badlands, and you could do this. My guess is you take the bowl and then you very quietly sneak up your magic wand and you say Aguamenti. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so both of you are kind of leaning in the real magic on this. You guys would be a very credulous audience, a very good audience for a, for a, for a, for a magician. Uh, I just I picture you guys work, walking out of a magic show, like, wow, that was real. That was good, real magic. That was good, real magic that we just witnessed. Yeah, sure, I know how he did it. <laughs> it was good, real magic. The funny thing is, if you say it was magic, yeah, you always do know how he did it. <laughs> This gets into a question of what what can adequately be called knowledge, because is that a justified true belief, Josh? (laughs) You know, I'm not sure. Warranted if you're uh, if you're Calvinist. (laughs) Yeah, which I think we've made references to justified true beliefs and warranted true beliefs before, and I think we've talked enough about epistemology on this podcast. No, the the way it's actually done is. There is, it's like, it's like a double walled thing where the, when you look inside the chamber, you're not actually seeing the entire containment. There's like a, a, a wall and then there's a little hole at the bottom of the vessel. Mm. So that when you tip it over to pour it out, 
it no longer fills up, like it doesn't fill up, like it goes to the top of that inner chamber. And then when you, when you place it back right side up, it then refills from the holes at the bottom of the chamber. Huh. Ooh. So you couldn't do it ad infinitum, but you could do it a couple times. Correct. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of like one of those those cups that have the glitter layer on the outside. and <laughs> Yes, exactly. Yeah, I imagine you had one of those cups with the glitter layer on the outside and then water in that little like intermediate zone. But instead of the water staying in the intermediate zone, there's holes at the bottom. Hmm. That's kind of a cool trick. Yeah, it's I a cool imagine trick. that stumped a lot of people. According to magician slash historian Bill Spooner, these bowls date from 3000 BCE. So that's a pretty old trick. That might be the oldest trick in the book. That might be. Mm. Yeah. It might be. It's also worth mentioning that the to get the pressure to equalize properly, you also need a hole at the top of the uh, at the top of the bowl that you plug as you're flipping it over and spilling it out, and then you put it back down and uncover the hole at the top so that the air can rush in and the water can go out. I heard a funny anecdote about uh, Benjamin Franklin and a magic trick he used to do to make people very confused. Josh, I encourage you to share this funny anecdote with us. So there is a there's a magic trick you can do to quiet the ripples, like little waves on a relatively calm pond by just tapping, putting a few drips of oil out and the oil will spread and you mm. won't really be able to see the oil because it's such a thin layer but it sits on top of the water and it looks flatter than the water around it. Interesting. So Interesting. he used to apparently keep a little bit of oil and a little contraption on the end of a walking stick and then claim that he would calm the waves and then tap it and then presumably laugh very hard mm. at the, uh, you know, the, the, the howdy do in the audience. <laughs> exactly. Do you think that's what Jesus did in the sea of Galilee when he calmed the storm? <laughs> Yeah, Jesus was a Chevron employee. <laughs> what if he just, yeah, just dumped just a ton of olive oil on the <laughs> Yeah, I think olive oil is more likely than Chevron hey, check, oil. Check your nets again. There's a bunch of dead fish in there. <laughs> Uh, that's a good anecdote, Josh. Thank you for relating that anecdote to us. A very good anecdote. The last thing I want to talk about is the word abracadabra, which I think is another oldest trick in the book sort of thing. Do you guys know the origin of the word abracadabra? Or I should say the, the origin isn't actually strictly known, but do you know some of the hypotheses that people have? The one that I've heard is that Latin was always thought of as sort of the the magic language in the Middle Ages because the priests would speak it and do all sorts of things and the peasants didn't know what they were saying. But when you... So, like, hocus pocus comes from hoc est corpus, which is what, you know, this is my body. It's yeah. the beginning words of the Eucharist. Oh. So it's just misheard. And, the, and I've heard that abracadabra comes from... Grave robbers would say it as a charm against evil because it means, like, open the body. Opere cadaver Ooh. would be how you'd say that in Latin. So if you were robbing the grave, some superstitious person might say something in Latin about what you're doing to try to ward off the, the bad juju of what you're doing. That's what I've heard. That is 
that is a, a, a example of a hypothesis. Very well done. And a very, uh, you know, great, uh, it was great historical storytelling, Josh. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful context. Unfortunately, it really comes from, there's a small psychic Pokemon you can catch. <laughs> route 11. He'll try to teleport, but if you can get him in a, with a Great Ball or an Ultra Ball. Yeah, you got to get him right um, away. Yeah, get him right away. Uh and then level them up, and there you go. You got Abra and Kadabra. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's one hypothesis of the etymology of Abra Kadabra. One is the one that Josh has said. Yeah, the the cadaver, cadaverous one. Another like hypothesis that. is that there is a Greek slash Latin word abraxas, which in the Greek alphabetic numerology, the letters add up to three sixty five which is the number of days in a year. And so there was a sense in which this was like a, a magical word of like completeness and protection, Abraxas, which then became um, hmm. Abracadabra. Another hypothesis that people have put forward is that it comes from Hebrew slash Aramaic, where, and there's two possible guesses here, one of which is that it comes from Ab, Ben, Ruach, Hakodesh, meaning Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Ab Ben Ruach Hakodesh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The other guess is that it comes from Avra Kadavra, meaning it will be created in my words. See, I mm. thought the the other hypothesis I thought was maybe that it comes from Avada Kadavra, that Muggles just misunderstood <laughs> was being said, mostly because of the shock of seeing someone die next to them. They right. they couldn't remember exactly what was said first. Yeah. <laughs> See, these are all. These are all equally plausible hypotheses. I kind of like Tony. How did that last one get translated? My as my words. Say, yeah, the Aramaic Avra Kadavra means it will be created in my words. I mean, that's kind of uh, that's kind of a romantic way to think about it. Of you know, words have power oh, yeah. in themselves. Oh yeah. Yeah. Of all of the ones that were said, I think that one sounds the most plausible to me. I like the cadaver one too. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, what my Latin teacher told me in college. Well, but turns out he doesn't know that was just a hypothesis. Why would a Latin teacher lie? Do, do you know the Do you know the what's the Latin word for lie? Do you know the Latin word for lie? Meloc. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I, I don't. I can think of the truth. It's been a long time since I took Latin. Yeah, the truth is like veritas, right? Yeah, right. I can't think of what lying is. According to Wikipedia, it is... Oh, this makes sense. Mendacium? Mendacium? Like, probably the origin of the word mendacious? Yeah, that mendacious. word. Totally, I was thinking about that. I've never heard that word before. I assume it means someone is a frequent liar. Mendacious, yeah, it just means like, yeah, it's, a, it's an adjective to describe a, a, a describe a falsehood. Got it. Well, um, I learned something on a trivia podcast. Neat. Multiple things. Yeah, people used to, people in the Middle Ages would write the word abracadabra, and then they would, they would write like a triangle, where the first line was abracadabra, and then the second line was abracadabra, except the last A was removed, and then they would remove the R and the A, and then the R-A-B, and then so in the end it would be it would be like a triangle, the top line of which was abracadabra, and then all the way down to just the letter A. And people thought that that would like ward off witches and, and poor health and things like that. 
Yeah, people used to write it on their doors to keep the plague out. And I tested that recently, and I have not <laughs> caught the coronavirus. I haven't caught it yet. Okay, so. well, then, then it hasn't not worked. <laughs> exactly. Um, that's a good point. We could maybe we should all write Abracadabra over our, our doors these days. Well, you guys, this was very fun. Yeah, what a treat. Thanks for joining us, Josh. Yes, thank you for inviting me. It was very fun. I learned a lot today. Good. It was a very educational episode. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of good history in there. Yeah. And I learned uh, that H.P. Lovecraft is a racist, so right. i got to figure out what to do with that information. Uh, yeah, that's... It's all right. We've been learning that a lot of people are racist right. in the last... Well, that doesn't yeah, make it all right, right, Austin. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, all right that, it's all right that Josh didn't know he was a racist. Yes. Is what I'm saying. Yes. Not all right oh, okay. that... That they are. Do you think that ancient aliens were racist? Right. I, I do uh, think that the ancient alien um, sort of trope is, in some ways, a little bit racist. Oh, it's to- it totally is. I mean, we can we can we can talk more about this in a second, but it, I, I, I'll, I'll, we'll talk about ancient aliens when we're offline in a second. For now, thank you to Jude Chuma for our theme music. Thank you to Anna Swearinga for our logo. Thank you, the people. You thank you, thank you, thank you, you, the person who is listening to this. And Austin, do we have any other any other business? I think that's our business. That's our business. All right then. Goodbye. I, uh...